0: GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, the East Central Research Foundation Farm near Yorkton has concluded a trial on Camelina. It was one of five locations across the province. We'll hear from research assistant Heather Sorstad and research coordinator Mike Hall on that uh, study that was just concluded. Meanwhile, Canfax reports Saskatchewan feeder cattle volumes were 12,255 head, only 300 head below the previous week's level. We'll hear from Errol Anderson with Pro Market Communications and he'll tell us what he thinks of the cattle market moving ahead. Michael Wilton of Merkensile Consulting Venture has provided his weekly overview of the wheat market. You'll hear it here coming up on today's program. And a nonprofit that redistributes surplus food to those in need has produced a proposal to reduce food waste. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX and Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. The East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton has concluded a trial on Camelina as one of five locations across the province. Research assistant Heather Sorstad explains.
1: This is the first time we've grown camelina at the research farm. It looks to be doing reasonably well, despite the hail damage on June 23rd. This study is being led by Lana Shaw from the Southeast Research Farm near Redverse. But before we get into the details of this study, let's introduce you to the crop, as not everyone will be familiar with it. Camelina is an ancient grain crop from northern Europe. It is a brassica species just like canola. In fact, if you look at their flowers, they just look like little canola flowers. Camelina meal and oil can be used for pet, equine, and human food. It can also be used to create biofuel. Smart Earth Camelina Corp. out of Saskatoon contracts camelina production. They also say that demand has outstripped supply in Saskatchewan.
0: Research coordinator Mike Hall says camelina is not as well known as canola.
1: For the most part, camelina is not as lucrative to grow as canola. There aren't a lot of herbicide options either. However, this variety from Smart Earth is resistant to on methyl, which is the active ingredient in pinnacle. Pinnacle will provide some limited broadleaf control. Assure 2 was also registered and it provides some grassy weed control. And they're also working to register clethoxodin which is the active ingredient in herbicides such as Centurion or Select. Despite these challenges, Camelina does have a number of attractive attributes. Compared to canola, Camelina is very resistant to flea beetles. It has greater frost tolerance, requires lower rates of fertilizer, and has fewer disease and insect issues. It's also more drought tolerant and better suited to drier regions in Saskatchewan, where yields can be similar to canola. So the objective of this study is to introduce the crop to local producers and to determine the effects of seeding depth and seeding rate on yield. Our seeding depths were a quarter inch, half inch and three quarter inches. Personally I didn't see any difference between the seeding depths. At the time of seeding soil moisture was good and near the surface. Seeding rates were 1.5, 3, 6 and 9 pounds per acre. 6 pounds per acre is generally considered the optimum rate. Definitely some visual differences between seeding rates and at our site. I suspect the higher rates will do better because the crop was thinned out by hail at our site, but I could be wrong. Let's fast forward to winter now and have a look at the results. So ECRF and Parkland College in Yorkton were one of the five AgriArms sites in total. The other sites were Scott, Outlook, Melfort and Redverse. Lana Shah and Aishida Patel from SURF led this study, and my presentation here is based off of their report. Here we have the main effects of seeding shallow, medium, and deep on camelina emergence. Again, shallow was about a quarter inch deep, medium a half inch, and deep was three quarters inches. Seeding depth did not affect emergence at our site in Yorkton, where conditions for emergence were excellent. You can see emergence rates at Yorkton were much higher compared to the other locations. At Redvers and Melfort, emergence started to significantly decline with a medium seeding depth. In contrast, emergence at Outlook and Scott didn't start to decline until the deepest seeding depth had been achieved. Overall, seeding shallow was the best approach. If soil moisture conditions at seeding are good, seed shallow. So. Since emergence was not affected by seeding depth, neither was yield at Yorkton. Yield also wasn't affected by seeding depth at Redverse or Outlook, even though emergence was significantly reduced by seeding deep. This shows camelina has some plasticity to compensate for lower emergence rates. Even for the deepest seeding depth, camelina emergence was more than 80 plants per meter squared at Redverse and Outlook indicating that yields could still be maximized at this level of emergence. At Scott, seeding deep reduced emergence significantly from 59 plants per meter squared down to 24 plants per meter squared, and apparently this was enough to significantly reduce yield. Similarly, seeding depth at Melfort significantly reduced emergence from 59 down to 32 plants per meter squared, and this was also enough to significantly reduce yield. This seems to be similar to canola, where plant establishment below 40 plants per meter squared will start to decrease yield potential. Seeding deep also delayed maturity at Scott and Redverse, but did not significantly affect maturity at Yorkton and Outlook. Fortunately, increasing seeding rates significantly increased emergence as expected at all locations. In other words, nobody screwed up. However, the rate of emergence varied greatly between sites, with the best emergence rates occurring at Yorkton, and the poorest emergent rates occurring at Scott and Melfort. The lowest seeding rate of 1.5 pounds per acre significantly reduced yield at Redverse, Outlook and Scott. Yield at Melfort was significantly reduced by the 3 pound per acre rate, or lower. At Yorkton, yields were unaffected by seeding rate. The lowest seeding rate at Yorkton resulted in 59 plants per meter squared, which was apparently enough to prevent yield loss. At Redverse, Outlook, Scott and Melfort, the emergence rates which resulted in a significant yield loss were 39, 17, 15, 23 plants per meter squared, respectively. Again, this seems similar to canola, which starts to lose yield once emergence rates fall below 40 plants per meter squared. Increasing seeding rate did significantly hasten maturity as expected at Redverse, Scott, and Yorkton. Increasing seeding rate substantially hastened maturity at Scott as emergence rates were low at this site. Conclusions, Camelina is a small seed and should be seeded shallow, particularly if soil moisture conditions are ideal. Seeding deep significantly reduced yield at Scott and Melford, and significantly delayed maturity at Scott and Redverse. Emergence rates below 40 plants per meter squared were associated with significant yield loss, similar to canola. The standard six pound per acre seeding rate was never associated with yield loss. Seeding rates could go as low as 1.5 pounds per acre without incurring yield loss under ideal conditions at Yorkton. However, a seeding rate of 1.5 pounds per acre incurred a significant yield loss at three of the five sites, and a seeding rate of three pounds per acre incurred a yield loss at Melfort. So it's probably best to hedge your bets and stay with that standard six pounds per acre seeding rate.
0: Mike Hall is the research coordinator at the East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton. It's time now for the ag review portion of our program And that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review Canadian National Railway and the union representing its mechanics and intermodal and clerical workers have reached a tentative labour deal averting a potential strike. CN, Unifor Local 100 and Unifor Council 4000 announced yesterday They have reached four new tentative collective agreements to cover about 3,000 railway employees who had voted earlier this month in favor of strike action. The employees were in a position to strike as early as today, if 72 hours' notice had been given, but Unifor said in a separate statement Saturday its team had decided to continue negotiating with CN in Montreal through the weekend. The company and union both said no details of the tentative deals would be released publicly, until ratification votes are completed. Unifor said yesterday those votes will be held in the near future. CNNCP rail supplied a combined 88% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 32, an improvement from the previous week's 76%, and the best performance seen for the two railways combined since week four in late August. The improvement in performance reflects improved performance for each of CN and CP for the second consecutive week. In supplying 93% of hopper cars ordered on time in week 32, CN's order fulfillment performance improved from the 82% order fulfillment performance seen in week 31. This marks the first time in 17 weeks since week 15 in early November that CN has supplied 90% or more of cars ordered in a week. CP order fulfillment performance also improved this week, with the railway supplying 83% of cars ordered, an improvement from the 70% order fulfillment performance seen in week 31. This marks the 27th consecutive week that CP has fallen short of the 90% performance threshold, and the first time in eight weeks that it has supplied at least 80% of cars ordered in a week. Compared to last week, Western Canadian yearling and calf markets were quoted steady to $5 higher on average. Strength was noted in southern Alberta. In the Lethbridge area, prices for lighter flesh replacements were up by as much as $10 from seven days earlier. Larger supplies of backgrounded cattle are coming on the market at this time of year. However, finishing feedlots were extremely aggressive on quality replacements. The steer heifer spread appeared to narrow this past week, which isn't uncommon when prices are near historical highs. The feeder market has been trending higher and waiting isn't an option. Feedlot operators who were holding out for a price correction finally threw in the towel and sent just get 'em type orders to their local buyers. Dairy Farmers of Canada or DFC has released its Net Zero by 2050 Best Management Practices Guide to Mitigate Emissions on Dairy Farms. The guide will help Canadian dairy farmers contribute to reaching net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, an ambitious goal set by DFC last year. Working towards this target confirms that the dairy sector is part of the country's solutions to tackle climate change, and ensures that consumers can continue enjoying dairy products made with 100 percent Canadian milk for years to come. DFC's best practices guide has been developed in consultation with experts to help farmers identify and implement best management practices on their farm, including an overview of 30 opportunities for reducing emissions, increasing carbon sequestration, and improving overall environmental sustainability DFC is working with greenhouse gas reduction specialists, federal and provincial governments, dairy stakeholders, and most importantly farmers, on strategies that can be applied at the farm level to reduce and sequester emissions as they strive for continuous improvement. A study in the journal Nature Climate Change concludes that continuing today's dietary patterns will push earth past the 1.5 degrees Celsius limit of warming sought under the Paris Climate Agreement to avoid the worst effects of climate change. The study found the majority of diet related greenhouse gas emissions come from three major sources, meat from animals like cows, sheep and goats, dairy and rice. All emit large amounts of methane in the way they are currently farmed the study offered some ways to change global food production and consumption that could limit warming, such as eating less meat and adopting mandatory food waste recycling programs. And that's today's AgReview. Please stay tuned, GX on Agriculture will be back right after these messages. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture, I'm Doug Faulkner. It's sunny and minus nine degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region, I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. CanFax reports Saskatchewan feeder cattle volumes were 12,255 head, only 300 head below the previous week's level. There were price improvements in every feeder steer and heifer weight category. Three to four hundred pound steers were up $5.33, to average three hundred fifty four eighty three dollars per hundred weight, Five to six hundred pound steers rose seven dollars fifty-five cents to average three thirty-two twenty-five. Seven to eight weight steers had a provincial average bid of two hundred seventy-nine dollars ninety cents per hundred weight, up eight dollars fifty-two cents. While nine hundred pound and over steers saw the smallest price increase of a dollar eighty, to two hundred thirty-seven dollars eighty cents per hundred weight. On the heifer side, Canfax reports the average price for three to four weight feeder heifers was three hundred fourteen dollars sixty three cents, an increase of thirteen dollars seventy five cents per hundred weight five hundred to six hundred pound feeder heifers moved seven dollars twenty five cents to average two hundred eighty four dollars eighty eight cents per hundred weight while seven to eight heifers went to two hundred forty two dollars thirteen cents an increase of six dollars and sixty three cents meantime there was another sizable price increase for live non-fed cattle in alberta while the numbers are very good for both d2 and d3 slaughter cows errol anderson with pro-market communications believes the peak may have arrived with the financial world turning over Possibility that this may be the top of the cattle market. And I know that's not a good, you know, I don't want to say that to the cattle feeder because we're, we're finally coming out of it, but um, I, I kind of hold my breath right now when I see what's happening to the credit markets, and we may see the cow market start to come down in April. CanFax reports last week D2 slaughter cows were up $5.78 to average $132.08 per hundredweight. D3 slaughter cows rose a similar amount. $6.10 to average one thirteen thirty per hundred weight. It's time now for the livestock market conditions, and they're a presentation of Heartland Livestock in Verdon. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for April closed at $162.42 today. That's up 40 June live cattle closed at 156.15, up 62. April feeder cattle closed at 194.70, up 7. May feeder cattle closed at 199.55, up 40. April lean hogs closed at 77.05, down 72. May lean hogs closed at 84.70, down 45. And that's the livestock market conditions. Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided his weekly overview of the wheat market. It was issued through the Saskatchewan
2: Wheat Development Commission. Wheat futures were higher last week despite the extension of the Black Sea Grain Initiative. Wheat was supported by strong U.S. corn sales and risk-off trading as traders began to feel the market was oversold. The fund's net short was reported to have grown to a five-year high of 100,000 contracts. In the significant purchases and trades last week, it was a big week, with Saudi Arabia, Algeria, Tunisia, Jordan, and Egypt all buying a total of around 2 million tons of wheat. Most of the trades last week were filled with Black Sea supplies. The Egyptian price was the lowest we have seen in recent weeks. Japan bought 73,000 tons of food-grade wheat from the US, Canada, and Australia in their weekly tunder. And US weekly wheat sales were strong at 336.7 thousand tons. Total US exports are 650 million bushels, which is only down 5% from last year. In some of the most important news that happened last week, the International Grains Council put global wheat production at a record high of 801 million tonnes for the 2022-23 season. The increase was driven by more production in Kazakhstan, Australia, India, and the European Union. Global ending stocks were put 5 million tonnes higher than last month at 286 million tonnes. The International Grains Council released their first estimates for the upcoming 23-24 growing season. They put global wheat production at 787 million tons, which is 2% less than the previous year. Most of the decrease in global wheat production was in exporting countries, led by a 20% decrease in Ukraine, 13% less production in Russia, and 29% less production in Australia. We think that most of the International Grains Council's production estimates are reasonable, but they are likely at the high end of what is possible. Their number for the Black Sea are higher than some of the estimates we've heard from local analysts, and their estimates for Australia and India, while possible, do not give much room for the potential impact of the forecasted El Nino. In Canada, While future prices crashed over the week, average basis levels have cushioned the fall in cash prices in the Canadian prairies. Future prices have fallen roughly 60 cents since the beginning of February, while cash prices have fallen just 40 cents on average. The strength in basis levels were largely because of the depreciating Canadian dollar, relatively cheap export prices off the west coast, and strong demand for Canadian wheat. Canadian wheat exports remain strong, as there was another 520,000 tons of wheat exported during week 32. This brings the season total to 12.3 million tons, up 69% from last year compared to the AAFC's 57% increase. Average weekly exports need to be about 350,000 tons per week to meet the AAFC's 19.3 million ton export number. Wheat deliveries were also strong and will allow the export pace to remain steady. For Durham, Durham exports for week 32 were 76,000 tonnes, which is in line with the average pace needed to meet the AAFC's 4.8 million tonne export number. The average export pace to date is 104.6 thousand tonnes per week. Although we are entering the spring shipping season, when exports tend to pick up, Shipping out of the Great Lakes usually resumes in late March. There is not enough Durham supply to maintain the current export pace. With that said, producer deliveries were 131,000 tons last week, causing an increase in visible supply. Most of the stocks are in primary elevators, but there is 120,000 tons in the Vancouver terminals. In the US. The percent of the U.S. winter wheat crop that is experiencing drought conditions improved two points over the week and is now 53 percent. The areas experiencing the worst drought are Kansas, where 66 percent of the crop is in extreme drought, and Nebraska, where 70 percent of the crop is in extreme drought. The spring drought outlook for the US shows the drought should improve in parts of the northern and central plains over the next three months, but drought in parts of the southern high plains will persist through the end of June. And as we head over to Australia, the Meteorology Bureau in Australia says the forecasted El Nino may be earlier and more severe than initial thoughts. Australia's Bureau of Agriculture is estimating that next year's wheat crop will be around 10 million tons less than the previous year, at 28 million tons. This compares to what local traders thought of about 25 million tons. In Argentina, the wheat market in Argentina is completely stalled. December to March exports are just under 1.9 million tons. We think that they only have an exportable surplus of about 5 to 6 million tons. Exports from Brazil are taking some of Argentina's shortfall. Brazil, who usually imports 6 to 8 million tons of wheat, has exported almost 2.6 million tons. Prices have risen in Brazil, which has taken them out of the export market. In the European Union, contagion fears over the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse has caused the euro to fall, which helped the Metif wheat prices. Funds increased their net short position on Matif Wheat by 14,000 contracts over the week to 78,000 contracts. Some of this was bought back late last week. Low soil moisture does not seem to be affecting the French wheat crop, which is 95% good to excellent. This is unchanged from last week and three points higher than last year. French farmers are not selling at these prices, which has caused some exporters to pull their bids altogether. Strategy Grains is estimating that durum production in the EU will increase by 10% from last year's drought-impacted crop, to 7.8 million tonnes. Most of the increase in production is expected to be in Italy, but production in Spain and Greece is also expected to be higher. Durham production in the EU is subject to the same weather concerns mentioned previously. In the Black Sea, there are reports that farmers in Ukraine only have about 35% of the crop protection products they need. A lack of money is making sourcing all the crop inputs needed difficult. Initial estimates are that total grain production could fall to 34 million tonnes compared to 54 million tonnes last year and the record 86 million ton crop in 2021. The International Grains Council has their estimate for Ukraine's upcoming wheat crop at 20.2 million tonnes, which is 20% less than last year. Russia's state agency Rostat estimates that their 2022-23 crop was 104 million tons compared to the USDA's 92 million ton estimate and the IGC's 95 million ton number. Russia's actual production is probably closer to 100 million tons. The International Grains Council put Russia's 2023 24 crop down 13% from the previous year at 83 million tons. In the coming week, Russian wheat continues to dominate the wheat trade. Russian farmers had a big crop, and they're strong sellers at these prices. With a new wheat crop coming shortly in Europe, we presently don't see any independent strength in wheat. The wheat market will follow corn, which, in the short term, will be a function of the pace of U.S. export sales. We are sold out on current crop wheat and will wait on weather developments before selling additional new crop. That's Michael
0: Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Please stay tuned, your commodities update is coming up next. Commodities Update Canola futures closed down across the board again today. May canola closed at 7.2940, down $9.20. July canola closed at 7.1950, down $10.80. May Minneapolis wheat closed at 8.45 and three quarters, down five and three quarters. May Kansas City wheat closed at 8.20 and a quarter. Down nine and a half cents may Chicago wheat closed at six eighty three and a quarter down seventeen and a half cents, may corn closed at six thirty per bushel, down three cents may soybeans closed at fourteen sixty seven per bushel, down nineteen cents may oats closed at three fifty nine per bushel, up three and a quarter cents and that's the commodities update please stay tuned gx on agriculture will be back after these messages welcome back to gx on agriculture i'm doug falconer a non-profit agency that redistributes surplus food to those in need has produced a proposal to reduce food waste lori nickel is the ceo of second harvest she told the commons agriculture committee yesterday that best before date labels should be eliminated from food sold in grocery stores and supermarkets. Best before dates are wildly, wildly misunderstood. They are not expiry dates. They refer to a product's peak freshness. So while Canadians struggle to put food on the table, they are also convinced that best before dates are about safety and will throw away perfectly good food to protect themselves and their families. Eliminating best before dates would prevent safe, consumable food from being thrown out, saving Canadians money on their grocery bills. And while the issues of food affordability and growing food insecurity are complex and require long-term solutions to resolve, there is more that we can do right now to ensure that millions of vulnerable Canadians are not going hungry. Nicol is also calling on the federal government to bring back the Emergency Food Security Fund which was implemented during the COVID-19 pandemic. Meantime, Statistics Canada says the consumer price index for food was up 10.6% year-over-year in February, the seventh straight month with a double-digit increase. Supply constraints, unfavorable weather in growing regions, and higher input costs for energy, packaging materials, and animal feeds were responsible. Topping the year-to-year prices increase were fruit juices up 15.7%, cereal products up 14.8%, vegetables up 13%, dairy products 9.4%, and meat up 6.2%. Speaking of vegetables, a retired fisherman from the United Kingdom is gathering many Twitter followers. That's because 74-year-old Gerald Stratford grows giant vegetables. I've grown marrows. Do you have marrows in Canada? Perhaps you would call it a zucchini. Well, I've grown a zucchini just a fraction under 100 pounds. (laughs) Stratford has also grown an 88-pound cabbage. Yeah, that cabbage I cut into 10 portions, you know, and then we had some, my neighbours, family, we all enjoyed it. Gerald Stratford lives in the United Kingdom. Farm Bulletin Board. The Canadian Association of Farm Advisors is having another event coming up next Wednesday, March 29th. It'll be from 12 until 1 via Zoom. They'll be talking about Saskatchewan farmland values, interest rate environment, and what bankers look at for lending. Guest speakers include FCC's farmland values for Saskatchewan, Curry Carlson, who is a senior appraiser with FCC. As for the interest rate environment... Anton Chekis, director of Derivative Products Group, and Scotiabank will be the guest speaker on that. And then what bankers look at for lending. Tanner Gerwing, associate with National Agricultural Banking at Scotiabank. If you would like to register for that, probably the best thing to do is RSVP, Denise at com. The Canadian Cattle Young Leaders application deadline is coming up to apply to Canadian Cattle Young Leaders. Applications are now open for the 2023-24 program year looking for young people ages 18 to 35 who are passionate about the Canadian beef industry. The application deadline is March 31st. You can go to www.canadiancattleyoungleaders.com dot ca for more information on that don't forget that planning and preparations have started for the yorkton 4-h spring steer and heifer show that'll be running from april 13th to the 15th in yorkton so yeah that's under a month away hard to believe but the spring steer and heifer show coming up in yorkton And the Water Security Agency is helping producers plan sustainable agricultural water management projects. They're offering free workshops called Ag H2 Onward to introduce farmers and ranchers to the agricultural water management strategy in Saskatchewan. Producers can learn more and register at agh2onward.ca. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Sun increasing to cloud, wind southeast at 15 to 25 and a high of minus 7 degrees. For tonight, a 30% chance of flurries, then mainly cloudy, winds northwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 17. For tomorrow, cloudy with a 30% chance of afternoon flurries, winds south-southwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 6, a low of minus 17. For Thursday, sunny, winds south-southeast at 15 to 25, and a high of minus 1. For Friday, mainly cloudy, and a high of 0. Saturday, mainly cloudy, a high of minus 5. In the Paw, it's minus 11 degrees. Swan River, Brandon, and Roblin all reporting in at minus 9. Dauphin, minus 10. Show Lake-Russell, minus 7. Regina is at minus 12 degrees. Saskatoon, Wynyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 9. Hudson Bay minus 6, Broadview-Mooseman minus 10, Indian Head minus 11. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a southeast wind at 13 kilometers an hour, 68% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 9 degrees, with the wind chill it feels more like minus 15 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.